So we're going to talk about a topic today that to me is a very interesting topic. Um, we're going to talk about creation. And so I just want to open up with a word of prayer before I preach this message. And we'll just enjoy having a good time going through this. Father, I pray that you would just uh, help us understand more about creation now as we get into your word. As we learn more about you and as we seek to know you. In Jesus' name, amen. So this is one of these questions that everyone has a different viewpoint on, right? About creation. Even if you're a Bible-believing Christian who believed God created the earth, you have different questions like, were the 24-hour days literal days? How old is the earth? Is it 4.5 billion years old or is it 6 to 8,000 years old? How much does the evolutionary process play in creation? So these are some of the questions we're going to work through today. But this is definitely what I would consider in creation an open-handed issue. So these are the primary things I want you to believe and to know. God created it. If you don't believe God created the earth, you should probably golf or something on Sunday because you're wasting your time. Right? God created the earth. He created the earth with purpose. And he is going to restore the earth when he comes with a new heavens and a new earth. These are three primary things that you have to believe. And also, I want to be sensitive to people who are working through it. Maybe some of us are trying to figure out if we do believe in a God. So I don't want you golfing. I want you in here on Sunday mornings. But some of us, for those who believe, we have different viewpoints. So I just want to... Today is going to be a very informative message. We're going to talk about different viewpoints on creation. We're going to talk about what... Creation tells us about God. And um, one thing I do encourage you, because as you get up here and preach, I preach about maybe 25 to 30 minutes. Once in a while, I hit 33 minutes. You can't preach as exhaustive as you want to. So I was preparing this message. I would have preached three hours if I could hit every viewpoint of creation as far as the details that I want to get into. But what I want to encourage you as followers of Jesus, as people who want to know more about God, is to go read about these things. I can give you great recommendations on books about creation and these different viewpoints and some questions that we want each of us um, want answered for ourselves. So I would encourage you, even after this message, to read on your own. Look on the internet. Some great messages from different preachers um, who are well known and who are stable who preach great messages on creation. But what we're really going to get introduced to today is we're talking about the name of the sermon series is the storyteller. So we're really going to introduce to the place where the story happens. You know, I'm always intrigued by scenery in movies. And if you noticed, if you hear me preach almost every week, I'm a movie buff. I love movies. I can watch movies. I can go on a run on Netflix like you wouldn't believe when I get time off. But some of my favorite movies to watch because of sceneries, a, a scenery is Lord of the Rings. You know, just the scenery in New Zealand there, just the place it's set. Is unbelievable. I have to bring up Braveheart every week. That Scotland topography is something off the hook. But there's also this movie. Did anyone see the movie The Hunter with William Dafoe? Let me tell you, it's one of the most depressing movies in the world. I made my wife watch it. But the scenery in Australia is unbelievable and captivating that it actually keeps your attention, even though the movie's horrible. I'm like, this is so depressing. But they just keep showing it, and Natalie hated it, but they just keep showing the landscape and it's beautiful. We're going to get God, get to see God create this landscape on earth. 
that is so beautiful and breathtaking. And you guys seen some of the sights, but this is where the story is going to take place. The story of redemption, where he's going to create the heavens. He's going to create the earth. He's going to create humanity. Humanity's going to fall. Humanity's going to be restored. There's going to be a church preaching that gospel. God's going to return. And then you see judgment day, heaven and hell and all these things come into play till we get a new home, new heavens and new earth. But really we're going to see God's plan is to restore creation. So he's not going to allow creation to be made, man to sin, and destroy something that he declared good. God is going to restore it and make a new heaven and a new earth when all is said and done. Because that's how God rolls. So I want you to see that God is powerful today when you think about creation. That God is personal and that God is beautiful. And we're going to go through some of these things, but we're going to do one verse today. We're going to stay right there, so you didn't have to bring your Bibles because I'm going to say it. Genesis 1.1, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So I just really <coughs> excuse me, want to examine what the Bible says about creation first. And let's start there. And this might seem like a simple truth, but this needs to be said in today's culture. As a Christian, we believe that God created the earth. That might seem like a simple truth. But there's so much atheistic thought out there and naturalism with no God that teaches that something came from nothing. And I believe that it's a dangerous doctrine that is hurting our youth. It's hurting our elderly. It's hurting everyone because it's a doctrine that produces despair and produces death. It's a doctrine that teaches that there was nothing before us, there's nothing after us, and that brings despair. And we'll get into that a little more, a little later in the sermon. But God, a loving, personal, infinite, powerful, beautiful God, created the earth. So who wrote this book of Genesis? Genesis means beginning in the Bible. Who wrote it? When I was about eight years old and my mom was bringing me to Sunday school, it hit me one day and I thought the whole thing was a hoax. I said, time out. Who recorded what happened in Genesis? This whole thing is a hoax, man. There's no one was there. God didn't even create humanity yet. How the heck did, do we know through human writing how the earth was created? So let me just make this point to you. Moses wrote the book of Genesis. And John didn't slam the door today. Thank you, Father. Love you, John. See, I joke too much and I lose my train of thought. So Moses had a special relationship with God. Okay? He wrote the four, five, first five books of the Bible called the Pentateuch. He didn't have the same experience with God that the common man had. So let's get a few facts down. He saw God. This is not the experience of the common man. He prayed that he could see the Lord and the Lord would pass before him and the Lord only showed him his side, but he saw the Lord was gracious and compassionate and powerful. He had extreme experiences with the supernatural so much that God used him as a mediator to bring great plagues on the land of Egypt. And even if you go back in history and you look at Ramsey II, you'll see that all the slaves left during that time because the Bible is historical, right? 
So there's great things happen from God revealed the Ten Commandments to Moses, to his covenant people, his law. Moses had a unique relationship with God. And what happened was God revealed the act of creation to Moses in a very unique and intimate and divine and special way. Through his presence, through his voice, he told Moses how creation went down. And so we see that there was nothing and God created the earth and the earth has a beginning. Now it wasn't until the last three decades that scientists agreed that the earth had a beginning because many scientists were teaching that the, the earth was infinite, that it was eternal, that it had no beginning. But it wasn't until the last three decades that scientists are now agreeing that yes, the earth had a beginning and it will have an end. So it said that God created the earth and it had a beginning, and he created it out of nothing. We'll dive into that. But first, how did he create it out of nothing? So the most powerful force in Genesis 1 is God's word. He actually speaks creation into existence out of nothing. So there's two Hebrew words used here. The word, now... I'm Bostonian, so I'm sure I'm not pronouncing them exactly right. And there's a lot of A's in them, so please forgive me. The first word is bara, which means created out of nothing. The second one is asa, which means forming from that which is already created. So God very uniquely, only He can create out of nothing through the power of His Word. Then you have asa, which... We can be involved in, right? We can do pottery, we can get clay, we can do artwork and create out of that which is already there. But what is God is uniquely doing in creation is He is infinite, He is internal, He is making a beginning, and He's speaking the earth and things into existence out of nothing. I'm not claiming that this is not miraculous. This is a miracle. This is unbelievable. When you look at the earth and the vastness of it and the power of it, you have to say something powerful made this. So God, who was powerful, spoke the word, spoke the earth into existence through his word, out of nothing. So you see this pattern in Genesis 1, this pattern of announcement. And God said, then you say this commandment, let there be. Then you get the report, and it was so. And then you get the evaluation, and it was good. So he said, let there be light. Let there be sun and moon. Let there be a sky. God powerfully is just speaking the earth into existence. That should put us in awe. It should be mysterious and say, hold on, you know, I can't even speak a parking space into existence. How is God speaking the earth into existence? But God is speaking the earth into existence. And another Hebrew word, and I'm so sorry I'm throwing these at you today, I don't use it. It's ex nihilo, which means out of nothing. And so, you see in Genesis 1, in Genesis 1-2, that God creates the earth. And then you see that as it goes along in the first two chapters of Genesis, he begins to cultivate the earth for human habitation. And so, this is what the Bible says, just on very some simple points. God created the earth. He created out of nothing. He spoke it into existence. He evaluated and said it was good. And so now we get into the question, 
three questions that I want to hit before we talk about the viewpoints, because I think these are the biggest questions. The first one is, how old is the earth? Right? There's probably some young earth creationists in here. There's probably some old earth, historic earth creationists in here. There's probably some literal framework brothers and sisters in here. So we have a lot of different viewpoints. And I want to say, as we get to these, this is not something that should divide us if we're united on the main things that God created the earth. We can have different viewpoints on this. And I will tell you which one I lean towards, but you don't have to believe like me when we get there. So scientists say the earth is 4.5 billion years old. So if someone looks at Genesis 1, they say, time out here. I'm going to go through all the genealogies, right? From Adam all the way to Mo all the way through, and I can tell you that the earth is only 5,772 years old. The Bible doesn't necessarily say that. It could be a young earth, but it also leaves room through the language for an old earth. And this would be called historic creationism. St. Augustine and many past theologians believe that the earth was very old and that there was a gap between Genesis 1 and Genesis 1-2. They use the word, and I'm not trying to square in church, it's a Hebrew word, reshit. I try to say myself, can I say this in church? But the Father knows it's Hebrew. This means, then, this would be like, and let me try to explain this, and I don't want to get ahead of myself, but I want you to understand how the Bible says the earth can be old, and even the Hebrew language. Because some of us are like, I'm having trouble because, and I'm not, if you're young earth creationists, I'm with you. That's definitely a viewpoint. You can be a Christian, be a part of this church, love Jesus, worship him. But a lot of us have the problem with, I love science. I think science is helpful. I think science is good. This part of science is not helpful when they try to, um, create theory that doesn't even have enough evidence and needs more faith than a Christian needs. Like all that stuff I don't like. But science is used and it is proven and it's helping people and it's helping society. I love science. So when they are dating things geologically and all those kind of things, I think the earth is a lot older. I'm just going to be honest with you. That's my personal viewpoint. We'll get into why young earth creationists think that it could look old but still be young. So I'm going to tell you where I lean. You don't have to believe like me. And everyone, please hear me. If you're someone who believes the earth is younger, this is one of the tough. This in Revelation, sleepless nights for me, right? I'm just like, how does it begin? How does it end? What are you talking about? You're strange. Come on. And I'm just trying to work through all this stuff. So I'm not dogging anyone. But the Hebrew word, don't have to say that twice, Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, it's more of a word for inauguration. It does not say a specific amount of time. It would be like God spoke, created the earth. He inaugurated it. He started it. And then, whether it was 10 years or a billion years, he begins to cultivate that earth for humans, for animals to live in. This would be like, this viewpoint would be like, I buy, so I'm into fish now. I need the hobby and I only got so much time, so I started buying fish tanks. There's something wrong with me. This would be like me buying a fish tank. So I got the case for this fish tank. And this is not a perfect example. This is a human example because I didn't say let there be a fish tank. I had to spend my money for it. So I get a fish tank and I set that thing up on the, the dresser. And I waited five years. Then I came back. I put water in it. I put the gravel in it. I put the ornaments in it. I put the fish in it. I put the filter in it. If I wrote down what I did, I could write down I bought a fish tank. 
And I put everything in the fish tank to make the fish tank go. What the Bible could be saying here is God created the earth. Then there's an unspecified amount of time, according to the Hebrew language, that God comes and then he cultivates the earth in that time. Okay? So that leaves space. And the reason I'm saying this is that leaves space that you don't have to leave here confused and say, oh my goodness, I don't believe the earth is 6,000 years old. How can I be a Christian? Because that happens with people, right? You say, they're, they're trying to make me believe something that I don't honestly believe. You can leave here and say the earth is 6,000 years old. Absolutely. But the Bible, what else I want to see? In Genesis 1-1, in the Labrum Hebrew, it leaves space for you to believe both ways. That's what I want us to get at here as everyone works through that. The second thing is, are they 24-hour literal days? That's another one. Come on now. Now, <laughs> God is so powerful, I have no problem believing God can create the earth in one day. I mean, does anyone have a beef with that? I mean, come on. I think when we get into some questions and we say, we look at the way they're dating things, <coughs> we look at different scientific breakthroughs, and we have some of the questions with the age of the earth and are they literal days. Once again, I think the Bible leaves space because of the Hebrew language for them to be 24-hour literal days. And i got to be honest, I lead towards literal days. Or day-age periods. So, once again, the Hebrew word is yom. Yom does not have to be a 24-hour literal day in creation. So when he says on this day, yom, that can mean a period of time when you get into the language. And once again, I'm not trying to preach this so we fit into science or anything like that. I want us to be well-educated on the language used in this chapter so we can make a calculated um, decision on where we stand with creation when we know God created it. So, yom can be a long period of time or can be a day. Let me tell you why I lean towards a day. I lean towards a day because it says morning and even, and that was the common vernacular of the day. You know, and so they're going through that. It was in a succession of days, which gives us the work week, right? That the covenant people um, create their rhythms for life on. And I just want to read this verse to you in Exodus 2, 8 and 11. It says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So the 24-hour debate is going to keep going. So some people I told you I thought the earth was old and you're like, okay, he's on track. I said, I believe there's 24 hour days. And I said, there's something wrong with this kid. All right? I'm an historic creationist and we'll get into those viewpoints. But once again, the point I want to make is you can believe that the earth is 24 hour days in creation or you can believe it's long periods of time and still be inside the biblical framework. So then we get to a big question, right? How much does naturalism play in creation? What is the difference between creationism and naturalism? I'll tell you the first thing that naturalists believe that I think is absolutely, the only word I can think of is absurd. Naturalists believe that something came from nothing. To me, 
for the logical mind, that's one of the stupidest theories I've ever heard in my life. And I'm not trying to be nasty, I'm just trying to be real. This makes absolutely no, no sense. I saw an evangelist, Ray Comfort, he was interviewing a bunch of uh, kids from college who were in the biology and other studies of science. And he's asking this question, he said, do you believe that something came from nothing? And, oh, do you believe in intelligent design? And they said, no, absolutely not. So he said, make me a rose. Then make me a rose. And they said, I need something to make a rose. He said, make me a rose. You said that something came from nothing. He said, that's, that's a ridiculous question. I can't make something from nothing. And he asked him, what the heck are you guys talking about then? And they're like, well, I don't know. No, but really. To me, it's absurd. It's not scientific. And I had so many quotes, even from scientists who, um, like Christopher Hawking, and people who stood by these things, even say, man, this, it's hard putting this together, something from nothing thing. And they got a scientist working hard right now to show how nothing can come from something. I'm like, brother, keep going. Come on now, you got it. This is absurd that something can come from nothing. Creationism teaches that a good, glory, um, good, powerful, personal, beautiful God created the earth and started time. So there's a big difference there. We believe that God is the cause and that we are the effect. And naturalism believe that something, nothing made something. Second thing, naturalism believes that order came from chaos. So remember we talked about the argument last week, the teleological argument, that when we look at how things are working in concert and harmony, you have to say there has to be a God because of the design and the order, and the harmony of things. Naturalists would say they have no problem with the hurricane going through the junkyard and making a 747. They would say, I'm perfectly fine with that. A hurricane can hit this junkyard, and it can make a 747. Well, creationists would say there is a designer who is behind it. It doesn't even make logical sense, once again, for something that is chaotic, like just something from nothing, Big Bang, that happens and makes order. And we'll get into viewpoints, but for chaos to make order... Is crazy. The third one is naturalists teach that personal human beings who have intelligence, who have emotions, were created from impersonal matter that have no intelligence, that have no emotions, that have no life. So they would say that matter with no intelligence, no emotion, no heart, no feelings, nothing made personal matter. So I'm just trying to give you some simple stuff. Well, creationists say we were made in the image of God. And that's next week's sermon. How are we made in the image of God? And what does that mean? Very different viewpoints on how the earth came to be. Naturalists and those who believe that God created. So I'm going to give you my viewpoint in a hesitant way. Because we're going to get into Viewpoints. The fourth one, let me take myself out of, this is the way that naturalists differ from creationists, and let me say, please take my opinion more right here, because this is more of my opinion than some straight knowledge that is undeniable, because people might have different viewpoints on theistic evolution when we get there. I think that macroevolution has such a weak case. And I'm just talking from a man who really wants to know, who's not trying to prove something. I just want to study science. I think macroevolution 
does not have much to stand on. I think there are so many holes in the theory that I would have trouble putting faith in it. That's the one thing I saw so many questions on. I mean, top scientists. And they were just, well, oh, billions and billions and billions of years ago. Science is about being able to do an experiment and give an example of something happening so we can see it in the material world. There has never been an example of macroevolution or even close to one. Ever. Now, microevolution is undeniable. Undeniable. You look at even, let's give some simple examples. You look at the cat family. You see the African lions. They adapt to the habitat. You see the American lions, different. You see leopards in South America. The legs are even shorter because they're up in the trees more. You go to different uh, species of fish and you see them adapt to the environment. That tells me of a good and gracious God that just didn't make us and say, oh, hope they can adapt. He made animals. He made us to adapt to our environment. That's a good and gracious God. But there has never been a case or anything even close to it that teaches macroevolution. This is a conclusion they're coming to. Even when I look at the fossil record, right? And they got Lucy and they got all... There are so many gaps in it that when they're really questioning, I'm talking top-notch guys, that they say, we got a lot to figure out and I know there's a lot of questions. So you have to have faith to believe in that. Once again, I say that with my opinion. You guys might have different viewpoints on that. But I honestly say I would not put all my faith in that. Because I'm telling you, this stuff changes every 10 years with the theory on it that cannot be proved because that cannot be proved scientifically. Even if you go back in the records, I have trouble with that. So let's get into the viewpoints of creation. And thank you. This is more of a lecture today. Thank you for sitting through. <laughs> the first one would be historic creationism. And once again, this is the one I lean towards because it leaves space for an old earth and a younger creation. It doesn't even have to be six to 8,000 years. They say humanity could be 50 to 100,000 to 200,000, whatever. It leaves space for an older earth and a younger creation, and God creates it in 24-hour um, little days. So it both is faithful to Scripture, and it doesn't just look at science and say, you guys are out of your mind. That's where I lean. That would mean God created the earth in an unspecified amount of time. He came back and he cultivated for us to live in in six 24-hour days. It was held by many theologians, many people, many prominent preachers. It's an orthodox belief. The second one would be young creationism. This belief would believe that everything, the universe was created in six to 8,000 years ago. This is held by many theologians, many people. And so when scientists would say to them, how come we're dating the world so old? How come it looks so old to us? They would say things like, because of the flood, the catastrophic flood, it changed the geological record and the topography, which it seems older than it is. Or, for those of us who believe in a little Adam, little Adam, it would say when God created Adam, he didn't create a two-year-old, Right? So if you saw Adam as a young man, 18 to 25, however old he looked, you would look at him even though he was just created, first human being, and you would say, this guy's a lot older than he is. So creation, um, young earth creationists would say, the, old, the earth appears older than it is because that's how God created it. That's a viable option. Those two first, first two viewpoints are people who would stick to the 24-hour literal days. 
The third one would be the literary framework view. This would mean that the first two chapters of Genesis were never meant to be literal. They were just poetic. And some of our pastors believe in that. That's why I saw Joffrey got wound up when I gave that viewpoint. He gave me the amen without saying it. This would mean that it's just metaphorical, that God was concerned with letting people know he created it. This is not a scientific text. It's about forming and filling. So it means God formed, and I'll read the pattern through to you. He would say, on the first day, God formed the light and the darkness. Day four, he filled filled with the sun, moon, stars, and he filled the sky. Day two, the skies and waters are separated. Five, he fills them with fish and with birds. Day third, day three, dry land and waters are separated, plants and trees. Day six, he fills them with animals and man. And so you got the forming of it, then you got the filming of it. The filling of it. So it's just kind of the writers approaching it in a poetic way so we understand that God created the earth. The details aren't important. The most important details are God created it. He created it with a purpose. He's coming back to restore it. That is the literary framework view. There's so much more to that viewpoint, but time doesn't allow me to get into it. The most important thing you need to hear is it's more poetic, Genesis 1 and 2. The fourth one would be the day-age view. That God did it in a succession of times, but it was one long day that he created the heavens. One long day that he created man. One long day. And those happen in succession. That's the day-age view. Then we get to the viewpoint where I'm so hesitant to say this is all right. But I want to be humble. Um, I want to say this. Big theologians, big preachers like Tim Keller and many people, many scientists, who believe in theistic evolution. Okay? This would say that God was part of the miracle of creating things through the Big Bang. Boom. It's made. And he would step back and allow the natural process to happen. And he would only intervene at one other point of creation. That was to put the human spirit in a hominid who had evolved to that certain point. Not crazy about that viewpoint, to be honest with you. Just because this, so I could do five messages just on the implications of that when it comes to Scripture and it comes to the authority of God. But I wanted to be humble enough to say some of us are working through stuff and some preachers who love Jesus and love God believe this. I mean, there's a good part of the Catholic Church that teaches theistic evolution. So I wanted to be humble enough to say you can be part of this church, you can love Jesus and believe in theistic evolution. Even though pastorally, I have to be honest with you, I would try to lead you another way just because of some things in the Bible. But at Restoration Road, I'm not about telling you how to think. I'm about leading you in the Scriptures and in Jesus and letting you figure it out, you and the Holy Spirit. So now let's get to what this means for our life. I felt like a teacher today, Dave. I don't usually feel like Usually I'm just preaching at people. <laughs> Creation tells us so much about God. The first thing, it tells us that he's so powerful. Like even when I was talking to you guys and studying about God speaking the world into existence, it was amazing to me that, that that could happen by a powerful God. I remember we were down at the Wakefield Lake a couple years ago and we were watching the fireworks. The man made fireworks. And then God made fireworks, started going off over here, the lightning and everything. 
And everyone's like, are we going to make it? Are we going to make it? And I'm telling you, what last firework went off and just poured. But we're watching these fireworks, and I couldn't stop saying, these are so weak compared to the <laughs> You know, we got a fire. Poof, poof, and everyone's like, yeah, we did it. And God's just like, whoosh, whoosh, and everyone's watching that one. The guy took three years just to do those fireworks. I'll fire it up. And God just says, ding. And I just said, man. How powerful is God? And that's just some lightning in the sky in, in Wakefield, you know, for fireworks. Right? How powerful is he? I mean, when you look at the ocean, when you look at these things, I'm telling you, I went to Laguna Beach. And I'm telling you, the beaches are different out there. Like, you go down to Revere Beach, it's like flat the whole way. You're just walking out, right? You go to Laguna Beach, it's flat for like two of these squares, and then you just dump 30 feet. Like this, just like this. In the waves, we think it's a big day when they like hit us here. We're like, wow, the waves are huge out here. You go to Laguna Beach, I'm telling you guys, I was out here like this by myself. I'm talking to this buff brother. You know, I'm not in the greatest shape, but this brother was buff, so I'm talking to him. Yeah, the waves are serious out here, right? right? And I turned for one second. I'm not kidding. The wave hit my knee. These waves are so powerful. 30 feet later, I'm on my back on my neck, and I'm like, Natalie had to just see that. It's so ridiculous. How powerful God is and how we're not that powerful. I get knocked off about knee waves in Laguna Beach. Right, but you see how powerful God is and it is absolutely amazing. When we look at creation, we should say God is powerful. God is personal. Now this is something that blows my mind. God was personally involved in creation. He didn't send the angels to go create it. He didn't do these kind of things. He... He created himself. He cared about his creation. He cared about making a place that we could enjoy and have relationship with him. You know, we care about this all the time. I made my daughter a swing set, me and Joe Gore, and we made it asa out of something. They sent us the poles and we just screwed it together. First time I ever heard Joe Gore use the F-bomb. Don't tell him he doesn't go to this church. But he was so mad, I told him to get up early and help me put the swing set together. But we were putting this swing set together, right? I was so happy that I created this swing set for my kids to enjoy. You guys, some of us who are dads, some of us who will be dead, uh, whatever. I made the swing set, and I sat back, and they gave me the pieces and the screws, guys, and it, it's really not that big. My kids were enjoying that swing set. I was just like, the joy it brought me that I was personally involved with making that swing set. My daughter thinks I made her bed, and I haven't told her that I haven't yet. It's this little bed, right, that Natalie's cousin gave us. I pulled it out of the garage one day when Kara was real little, and I put it down. I might have tightened the screw, and she thought she was coming in on the end of me making her a bed. So she lays down that bed all, uh, many nights and goes, Donna, thank you for making me this bed. I take joy for it. In my mind, I made that bed. Without that screw, that bed was no good. That I was personally involved. And making that bed brings me so much joy. And I want you guys to know that God brought him so much joy to be personally involved creating the earth for us to be a part of and us to enjoy. You know? And God is beautiful. It's important every day for us to behold beauty. It's essential to your soul you to behold beauty. I would recommend 
finding a quiet place, even for five minutes, and just looking at God's creation and seeing how beautiful it is. I sat out on my uh, my steps last night. And beautiful night lately. Nothing like a fall in the wind. But I was sitting on the steps, and the clouds were moving, and I was just watching things. And the trees were blowing. And I was just like, this is beautiful. This is beautiful. When you get really taken back to, to, by what God has created, it does something in your soul that we need. We need to look at creation. We need to see God's beauty. We need to behold it because we are changed. When God looked at creation, he said, this is good. This is good. And you'll get to him next week when he created us. He said, this is very good. And we need to hear this in today's culture. That's next week's message. I want to jump. He created creation. This is good. It was so good that even though we destroyed it through sin, through war, war through, through murder, through idolatry, he sent his son, Jesus, to restore it. He didn't just say, they destroyed it. I'm going to have to start over again. He said, I'm going to make all things new. And how does he make all things new? By sending his son Jesus to die for our sins, not only to redeem us, but redeem creation. We're going to have a beautiful message, what it means in new heavens and new earth. But we need to hear that today. Because naturalism, the doctrine of creation is so important because naturalism brings despair. If you're taught wrongly that nothing created you, now, when you take your last breath, it's done. Our culture is going to continue to go down. How can you teach a child wrongly that they come from nothing and they are going anywhere and expect them to live a powerful life? I went to, Friday was a few deaths. One was I went to a wake. Wakes are tough. You're reminded of your frailty. You're reminded you don't know this is all. But the Lord says it's wise to number your years. I got a message from my uh, one of my buddies from high school, someone I knew in high school. 34 years old, died of brain cancer. 34 years old, left a son, a young son and a wife. 34 years old. I remember when he was young. I remember playing basketball. I remember just like that. He never thought. That he only had 34 years to live. Then in Kira's class, one of the fathers passed away, four-year-old. Daddy passed away. Unless I have the doctrine of creation and the doctrine of a good God and the doctrine of the eternal God, you can't have faith and you can't weather those storms. The doctrine of creation teaches that you were made with a purpose, and it was a good purpose. And you were made very good. And then when you die, it's not your last day. Because God, who declared creation good, is going to restore all things, including you, including creation. So I need us to know this doctrine. I need us to investigate this doctrine. I need you guys to do a little homework when you get time. I'm not, I'm not going to watch you to do your homework in a while. But I need you guys to read on your own. I need you guys to think. I need you to pray. I need you to work. Where do you stand on creation? But most importantly, I need you to know that God made it. He made it good. He saved it. He's coming to restore it.
Amen.